Welcome to another episode of What Are We Doing, a podcast from The Highlander. Mike Baker here with The Highlander, and I'm chatting today with Nancy Wood-Roberts, who is running for Ward 2 Councillor in Dysart et al. We're going to be talking with Nancy today about her her background in Halliburton County, her professional uh, career, reasons for running. Um, Again, she is an incumbent, having served as Ward 1 Councillor last term, now switching over uh, to run in Ward 2. We're then going to discuss with Nancy some of the the hot-button topics uh, facing Halliburton County as a whole, such as uh, housing, poverty, transportation, healthcare. So, yeah, we're going to be touching on a lot of things today, Nancy. Thanks for uh, for taking the time. Well, thank you, Mike, for the opportunity. Perfect. Okay, so I'll uh, start off with a nice, easy question um, and just get you to outline your your ties to Halliburton County, your, your, your history here in the community. Okay, well, thank you. Well, I'm a lifelong resident of um, the municipality of Dyser. Um, I have uh, been, a, I'm a seasoned municipal councillor. I have done, uh, I think, 14 years. Um, I have 14 years of experience. I've worked just over 40 years as a nurse at, uh, the, at frontline nurse at Triple HS and caring for and about our community. So I, as a health professional, um, advocating and communicating are really key components and that carries beautifully over into into the political field when you're hearing people's problems you have to be able to to hear what they're saying and put yourself in that position you need to be able to uh, to pick up on how it's impacting them not how you think it's impacting them so i think that communication skill is is a big skill mm-hmm. in this sort of area and you know you, you mentioned you know fourteen years of experience. Uh, you know you served Ward One uh, last term. Have you, have you always been the Ward One representative? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yes. So I know running for running for Ward Two uh, this time. What necessitated that change? Um, it wasn't uh, nothing necessitated it. I just feel to be a more rounded councillor uh, to be able to represent more of the municipality. It was important to, to change my area. Uh, Ward 1 is a very, very defined geographic area with lots of our little infrastructure, our street lights and sidewalks. And I just felt it was time to uh, to branch out somewhat. Okay. Um, ward 2 is the largest ward in the municipality population-wise. And I truly feel that with many, many new members coming to the council table, that Ward 2 was deserving of experienced representation. And so what do you see, you know, maybe as, as, as perhaps your number one issue, uh, you know, heading into this election? In the whole municipality? Yeah. Well, yeah, well, you know, you know, why don't we start with Ward 2 and then we can look at the whole municipality as a whole, if you like. Well, housing is, a, is you know, throughout the municipality and throughout the county. In Ward 2, um, protection of, of our lake health and our roads are big issues. We have to have safe roads. We have to have the you know good infrastructure in place to to provide safe and efficient service for all of our residents, and that includes um, broadband service as well. Okay. 
And so you know, you, you you sort of touched on your you know your communication skills as uh, you know being a a big thing that you think you need as a counselor. Uh, you know, what other skills uh, you know do you think you bring to the table that uh, you know has helped you be an effective counselor over the past fourteen years, and and would help you if you were uh, to be successful again uh, later this month? Um, well, I, I don't ever have an agenda to bring to the table. Um, I listen to our community. And I really value consensus-based decision-making. So, um, you know, all the members at the table have to come to a consensus, an an agreeable consensus to look toward what is best, what is the greater good for the whole municipality. And so if we look, you know, long-term for a second now, you know, maybe 10-year outlook, you know, what would be your, your overarching vision, um, you know, that you'd like to, you know, see uh, come to fruition uh, in Dysart at all as a community? Well, um, in the last term of council, we did a strategic plan, and there are pillars under that strategic plan, and they all have measurable outcomes. I would really like to see that living document move forward that we follow those principles and those guidelines that we've set out for ourselves and for the community. Um, Dysart needs to grow. Um, We have to have, it has to be sustainable and a safe, safe place for people. Municipality is about the people. It's not about the road. It's not about the truck. It's not about A, B or C. It's about the people and the services that are required and the services that we can provide and how we can we can help all our residents and you know permanent and seasonal to to enjoy what we have to offer here in Dysart. And you know you, you touched on this as, as as being you know your your number one priority the community's number one priority moving forward is uh, you know surrounding housing you know I, I think it's a secret to to nobody that there's a real lack of not only affordable, but just available housing across Dysart, across, you know, the whole Highlands region. You know, yeah. lo- long-time residents are being forced out of our communities and it's becoming increasingly difficult to to attract working professionals to to relocate here. You know, what ideas or, or, or solutions, you know, do you have uh, that, that that could help us to, to combat this and, you know, maybe help to bring about new developments, new options um, in the community? Because of the... Uh housing crisis you know it's a lack of both affordable and available so all our essential workers don't have a place young people with their families don't have a safe place so we need to really support sustainable and safe housing development Um, we need to perhaps look at some zoning changes to aid in the creation of an accessory slash secondary dwelling units for long-term rental Um, I don't know what would be possible but i would ask that staff investigate if there are any sort of incentives that the municipality could could provide for property owners to do that i know potable water in the septic capacity is is huge but there maybe there's more i don't know at this point that's something we should be investigating and so there are you know there are several developments uh you know in the pipeline, so to speak, in Dysart, just off the top of my head, I know there's, uh, you know, the, the, the Grass Lake um, proposal from, from Harbour and Holdings is, uh, is uh, you know, partway down the line, you know, Wallings Way uh, has been sort of pegged as, as, as a home for a project with places for people. Other smaller developments, um, you know, I think thinking of one just off of, uh, just off of Maple Avenue, it's, uh, yeah, you know, these sorts of developments, you know, do you think... Um, 
Do you think there are maybe other places, other opportunities where we could investigate these sorts of uh, medium density builds um, in Dysart? One of the biggest issues with um, with that is the access to the sewers. So we're probably at some point we're going to have to extend our sewer line. Mm-hmm. But from what I can see right now, um, any sort of development for medium or high density, probably medium, would have to go down uh, the County Road 21 toward Pinestone. So again, where's their property and who is willing to to develop it? How can we, you know, provide incentives for, for those things to happen? Okay. All right. You know, moving across here to, um, look at poverty you know for 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 many years the highlands region has been recognized as as one of the poorest in ontario you know i I recognize that you know there's 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 not a lot that a municipality can do you know on its own to 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 combat a you know an issue as 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 widespread as that it's going to take partnership at uh at, at all levels but uh you know, when you look and see that 17% of our population, you know, is living in poverty, 25% when you focus just on children, what yeah. what, what do you think Sorry. can be done? Sorry. No problem, no problem. What do you think can be done to, you know, buck this trend and, and, and try and turn this situation around at the municipal level? Well, I, to start with, affordable housing is one of the biggest drivers of income inequality in the municipality. Um. I think we need to encourage perhaps the college or other colleges to um, have programs here that are skill-based mm. based so that people don't have to leave the community for, for education or for school in order to find work. Um, if we can increase our housing that's affordable for workers is, is a big goal. Um, right now, Dysert um, tries to maintain revenue-neutral programming for all our programs that we have for kids. There's no money making in that. It's just covering the cost of the programming. And those programs are very, very um, well received by the community. Um, Dysart's really fortunate that we have agencies that work together to to combat poverty, uh, such as Point in Time, Search, and the Four Cs. And we are incredibly fortunate to have service clubs that, that make many contributions so that kids can be involved and, you know, there's free events and that sort of thing. I think that's an interesting point, you know, about, you know, trying to maybe attract more post-secondary programs to the community. I know Fleming College is, uh, you know, in the in, in the works of bringing a student residence, um, you know, to life in, in, in Glebe Park there. So, I mean, that's uh, that would be an interesting avenue to, to try and pursue to, to, like I say, bring more programs here and open up that uh, educational component. Right. There was actually in a report to the county, it was a study done by um, CKL in the county of Halliburton that was brought to the county, uh, I think, in August or September of 2019. And I don't think there's been any action moved forward from that. So that would be interesting to see um, if that's if there's any uptake on that in the next, you know, the new county council. All right. And then, you know, we're going to move across to, to the third issue now, you know, and I've I, I, I've sort of pinned this as being like a, a you know, a three-headed, uh, you know, monster almost alongside poverty and housing. And that's, you know, looking at transportation, you know, when you, when you consider that a lot of people now are being maybe forced outside of our more urban settings, like, uh, like Dysart, like Halliburton Village, like, like Minden, uh, to, yeah. to, to move to more rural, rural areas, 
you know, there's been yeah. calls now for the county to incorporate some kind of public transit to help move people around and and and, and get to work in in those uh, downtown settings. Do you? And I think the county did um, some sort of a study on that in the last eight years. Yeah. So I know they had. They had they had a, a a strategy, so to speak, that I think it's it's been sort of on the shelf since around 2019. Uh, you know, when I spoke to Mike Rudder about it a few weeks ago, I know the county's still investing fifty thousand dollars a year into a transportation pool, but uh, doesn't really have any 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 plans uh, at this point, so to speak, to, to to move something forward. So, yeah, I'm just asking candidates about you know what. What they think, you know, uh, a transportation or transit service could look like, um, you know, across the county, and if if you think one is is feasible. Well, currently, Dysert operates their accessible community transportation service, which is the Dymo bus. Right, and it it has fairly limited boundaries, and there is a um, a user. It's a user pay sort of system with a fair bit of backup from from the municipality. But due to the geographic challenges in Dysart, I mean, Ward 2 alone goes from um, the other side of Koshalong Lake Road all the way out to part of Dark and Grace Lake. Yeah. That, that's, that's huge. So I'm not sure how, I mean, it would be very difficult to have anything sort of in the route that would be um, efficient. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and I think that's something that's... And it's going to be expensive. Yeah, yeah. So maybe looking a little more, you know, creatively, do you think there's an option for, you know, some sort of, of rideshare service? I know that's something that's, uh, that Point in Time and Search have, have sort of investigated. Yeah. They've, had, they've had pilot projects approved through the county. They're, they're, they're looking that route. Do you, do you think, yeah. you know, maybe the, the lower tier municipalities could, uh, could, could look into bringing something like that online? I think they could certainly support it. I'm not sure if they, they would support it in principle. I'm not sure if there would be a big appetite to support it financially. Okay. Um, I mean, it's it's uh, due to the geographic challenges. It's just incredibly difficult to provide equal service to everywhere in in the municipality for a public transportation system. Um, they are never revenue neutral. Yeah. They're they're at a great cost to to all the taxpayers. Well, that'd be the thing. I know that's that's something that you know in a, in a prior life for me when I was working in Orangeville, there was a huge call for uh, for them to bring a transportation uh, service online. They did, and then you know the next year taxes went up, and that was a big reason why. And that a lot of people were not happy about that. So, mm-hmm. yeah, for sure. So, I mean, if, if we can uh, push um, housing in a certain geographic area, then it wouldn't be unreasonable to start to increase transportation service in a, in a limited geographic area. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. So this, so you know, no stranger, I don't think, to anyone who's out and about, uh, say, walking around Highland Street or, or Main Street down there in Minden. Uh, you know, help wanted signs up almost every business. Uh, you know that you see. That's right. It's everywhere. It's it's in all our industry and in all of our storefronts and in our um, prof- in, even in extended care and the hospital. There there are 
a serious lack of workers, you know, everywhere in the county. So here's the million dollar question then. How do we go about restocking our labor pool and, you know, making Halliburton County, Dysart, you know, not only an attractive, but, you know, a feasible place for people to, to work, you know, particularly for some of those, you know, lower end, um, you know, entry level positions? Well, if they don't have somewhere to live, they're not going to come to work. You know, if you're if you're in a lower a lower entry sort of position, can you afford to drive an hour, an hour and a half home and to work every day based on your wage? So, I mean, it all comes back to the ugly head of the snake, which to me right now is, is housing. We've lost staff at the hospital because they couldn't find adequate housing. And this was this was a stat that uh, you know was interesting. I think looking at the census uh, data that came in uh, earlier this year, when you compare it to you know ten years ago when we we're looking 2011, 2012, I think it was looking in around Halliburton County. We had around thirty eight hundred uh, dwellings uh, back in twenty twelve. By twenty twenty two, that that had dropped to around thirty three hundred. I mean, it's. Uh, it's crazy to think that, you know, for we look and we say, you know, we need housing, our community is growing, we need more of this, that, you know, over the last 10 years, we, we've actually gone backwards. It is amazing, isn't it? <laughs> and that, that can also tie into uh, people buying, you know, properties for, for short-term rentals and stuff. Right. You know, the, some, of, some of those properties, and especially in the residential zone that are being used as a commercial basis, that creates a, a huge issue, you know. There could be a, a working family living there, and now this working family doesn't have accommodation because those some of those places are being used as short-term rentals. So I was gonna I was gonna touch on this and ask the question about short-term rentals later, but you know, since it's been brought up now, let's uh, let's let, let's turn to this now. You know, there's like you say, there's been a huge uptick in the number of. Uh, number of these places that are appearing on websites like Airbnb being rented out to people for, you know, two days, three days, you know, maybe a week at a time. Mm-hmm. The county is starting to look into this and has hired a consultant now to, to develop a report for them. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, do you think short-term rentals, you know, have a place in Dysart, have a place in Halliburton County? And if so, you know, do you think they should be regulated moving forward? I think there is a place for them, but I do also think there needs to be some regulation. You know, if, if I have a cottage and I buy the cottage beside me and I rent it out 52 weeks a year, that's not my cottage. That's a commercial enterprise. So there should be a, a municipal accommodation tax placed on that. And in some of the other areas, um, you know, they're, they're regulated, they're registered, they're licensed. And once there's three complaints against the property, they, they lose that privilege. And I believe as well, even in the residential area where people have bought, you know, smaller homes that would, you know, easily accommodate a family of four, yet, you know, it's empty one week and it's full the next three weeks. So it, it, it does need some regulation for sure. Huh. And I mean, it, some of the areas can, they can be very, very disruptive yeah. to the neighbors and there have to be good neighbor policies. Um, I believe the lake associations have good neighbor policies, and I think um, they some you know some things definitely need regulation. But you also, before you regulate, you need to make sure that you can do the enforcement end of it. Okay. 
And what is the cost of all that? How is that money going to shift back and forth between the municipality and and to the county? If this is a county initiative and municipality, I don't know. How is it going to work? There, you know, there's there's nothing there's nothing drawn in for that yet, so that we can make an informed decision. So this is going to be a bit of a long-winded question. So so do bear with me and uh, you know. I think it might be a little more sensitive due to your, you know, your position working with uh, working with Triple HS, but it's something we've asked all candidates. So, uh, you know, I'm going to ask it to you as well. Pretty well documented staffing shortages at the Minden and Halliburton hospitals in recent months has led to Triple HS administration saying, you know, temporary ER department shutdowns may be necessary. Fortunately, we haven't seen that come to pass yet. But, uh, you know, just the fact that that cloud is is lingering over the community, you know, we think this begs the question, and and we are asking everyone this: of uh, Do you think our community continue can continue to support and accommodate two separate hospital sites in in Halliburton County moving forward? That would be a question for Carol and Plummer, actually, because I don't know their financial situation or what their funding is. But um, the the Halliburton site, you know, serves all of Halliburton, halfway to Minden. Redstone Lake, um, Harcourt. So, you know, if, if you need to do one site, yes, but you're, there's, it's going to be very expensive. I think the most efficient use of money that Triple HS or, or Halliburton could have would be to put in a CAT scan machine. So many people are, are, you know, rumbled up and down the road taking away an ambulance for, that, you know, could be needed for another emergency just for diagnostic testing. And there, there is a staffing shortage, and the staffing shortage, again, comes back to housing, partly. And in this day and age, um, nurses and doctors can work anywhere they want. Mm-hmm. You know, they have their pick of where to go and how many hours they want to work. So it has to be made much more attractive. The Family Medical Centre does, um, I do believe that they work with the uh, University of Toronto as well as Queen's, having... having residents come and do you know many of their hours here for one to three months at a time right and many of those physicians come back and do what they call locum um, positions over the summers so how can we at Dizer and health services attract them to come full-time well, I say, I say, I feel like that's the that's the million dollar question that's out there, and um, you know, one thing that we hear time and time again for people to come here is, you know, once once you're here, you you want to stay, and you know, I've had conversations, you know, with nurses who uh, you know came in to to, to to work at one of our medical uh, centers, and like you say, just weren't able to find housing, roughed it out for a few months, you know, staying here and there, and in the end, ended up leaving, going back to. Uh, going back to work in the GTA because it's just, uh, it's, it's easier for them to find a place to live down there. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And, and again, it you can pick and choose where you want to work. Right. right. I mean, a Triple HS is fortunate that many of the staff that they have there, they, they are very long-term staff. They have a commitment to the community. Yeah. They don't want to drive an hour to go work somewhere else for the same wage. I think in a, in a local area, you know the people that you're seeing, you know the people that you're caring for, you know their family members, and I think it's a, a much more robust um, level of care. Yeah, okay. And so another big question here, but um, 
you know, where do you stand on on amalgamation and you know the possible uh, merging of you know the four lower tier townships in Halliburton County coming together to form one single tier government? Okay, are you ready for this? <laughs> <laughs> amalgamation does not create a smaller government; it creates a more complicated structure, and I believe it makes it much more difficult for the public to engage at a level where they're going to get um, a positive response. We've seen amalgamation in many other areas, and it just is not going to work. Um, I don't feel all the areas, uh, based on their population and geography, would receive equal, equal service levels. We've seen that happen in many areas of amalgamation. Um, our municipalities, the four lower tier municipalities right now, do have many shared services. And that is a great thing. You know, it's, it's a lot, makes things a lot more streamlined for such as like bids and tenders and winter sand and all those sorts of things. Grant applications. There's, there's lots of room for shared services, but as far as amalgamation, I don't feel it would benefit any of the lower tier municipalities. Okay. It would really not benefit Highlands, Easter Algonquin Highlands based on their population. Yeah. So one one avenue that the county has started to explore is, you know, the service delivery review. I know there's been uh, talks of uh, the municipalities maybe working closer together on uh, on, on waste uh, strategies. Yeah. You know, are, are there other areas that you think, um, you know, the four townships in the county could work uh, closer together for, for, you know, not just for cost savings, but uh, maybe for uh, for, you know, for service improvements, too? Well, planning and land use, um, I think, should be relatively the same in, in the four municipalities. I think there's probably differences in applications and fees. But I honestly don't know. We would have to go department by department to see what efficiency could be created. And so this has been, you know, a contentious issue for, for several years now. And, you know, the county just adopted, uh, you know, a new shoreline preservation bylaw uh, back at the, the end of August following, you know, years of debate and, and controversy. What, what were your thoughts on, you know, where they landed with that final document? Um, I think for the amount of time that was put into it, it, it wasn't... Um Sorry. Ain't no problem. I think it, I think it needs some work. Um I, I think we do need a bylaw as a starting point. Um, I have had many, many people reach out to me with the concerns. The Coalition of Halliburton Property Owners um, were kind enough to forward some kind of science-based um, videos and stuff. So, I mean, I learned a lot through all that. Um, at this time, I think there needs to be some changes to what was passed. Um, the uh, cost of the program and the enforcement could be very, very expensive. And right now, Dysart would be paying 40% of that cost to the county to have that program. So the initial estimate um, was like it was going to cost a couple hundred thousand dollars. I'm not sure how that covers three staff and a couple vehicles and, you know, all the things that go along with full-time staff. Yeah. And again, you know, 40% of, of my tax dollar is going to the to to support that program. And I'm not on the waterfront. So I can see how some people, you know, are totally against it. Some people look after their shoreline beautifully. 
Lake associations have some wonderful guidelines. They're very active in doing water testing and stuff to, you know, to promote the, the health of the lakes. So um, I think it needs a lot of work. So, you know, have you identified um, things that you would like to see perhaps incorporated? I know the, 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 the sort of buzzword, the term that's been used is, you know, this thing's going to be a living document that's, uh, that can be changed over time. You know, have you identified areas that's where it could be improved? Well, perhaps perhaps the, uh, the, the high water setback, like the riparian zone which yep. I've learned is incredibly important. It's not so much the big pine tree that's keeping your lake healthy. It's that three foot wide of, of brushy stuff that has a, you know, a big, long, wide individual little root system that's, that's protecting it, right. protecting the waterfront. All right. I mean, I, and again, if you're representing other people who have concerns about this, you have to go with what their consensus is. I'm not going to say, I believe this science and you believe that science. Anyone can find science to to uphold their beliefs. So you have to, you know, represent what your regulators want. Yeah. You have to have a consensus among them, okay. not a personal, not a personal plan or agenda. You have to represent what the people want. Okay. So should you be successful come October 24th and, uh, you know, be reelected this time to, to Ward 2? You know, one of the first things that's going to be coming across the new council's desk will be the, the 2023 budget. Now, I know you're no stranger to uh, budget deliberations, but uh, what would be your priorities or your focus, um, you know, heading into those, uh, those talks? What would be your, um, yeah, your main priorities, I guess? Well, because now I would be representing Ward 2, so I would have to say our roads would be a priority okay. we have um, some great new software through uh through rob camelon who you know can explain explain that to us uh, it, the amount the road is traveled and the width and the surface and all those things but it should give us some really positive um feedback on what needs to be done first i know um just having been driving around in ward two there's some areas that need brushing i mean the the brush needs to be taken back from some of the sides of the roads for for visibility and safety for pedestrians so i would say that our roads would become one of my biggest priorities and and housing i'm not sure that's going to be a budget issue but it's on the forefront of my mind that we have to really push for housing and that was, as you mentioned before, maybe looking to, you know, bring about whether it's, you know, bylaw changes, legislation changes to, yeah. you know, allow things like secondary units, granny flats, that sort of thing, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Okay. All right. Well, I think we've run through the, the, the full gamut of questions here, Nancy. Was there anything else that's, um, any final thoughts, anything else that you wanted to touch on that we haven't uh, had an opportunity to chat about yet? Um, I don't think so. Uh, I just, uh. I'm, I'm really proud of the strategic plan that was done and the asset management plan that was done by the finance department. Those things are so vitally important that we follow those guidelines. Um, we would just, my goal would be to improve our service delivery and our quality of life for everyone in the municipality of Dysart, as well as 
as those inward too who I would hope to represent. Perfect. Okay, well, thank you for your time today, Nancy, and thank you, everybody, for listening. What Are We Doing is a podcast produced by Justin Van Leishout in partnership with The Highlander. Reporters working on this project include me, Sam Gillett, our editor, Lisa Gervais, and Mike Baker. Be sure to follow along as we cover candidates in your riding, as well as everyone running for election across Halliburton County. Music in this episode is from Kashaga, and our cover art is from Jason Yates, who can be found on Instagram at jy.inc. Welcome to another episode of What Are We Doing? A podcast from The Highlander. Mike Baker with The Highlander, and I'm sitting down this afternoon with Dan Roberts, a candidate uh, in the upcoming October municipal election. Dan is going to be running for Ward 2 Councillor in Dysart et al. How are you doing today? I'm good. Good. All right, so we're going to be going over... Uh, yeah, a bunch of questions this morning. Uh, you're going to have an opportunity to introduce yourself to the community, uh, give a little bit of a background um, uh, on, on, on yourself, and then we're going to be jumping into some, shall we say, hot-button topics, I guess, okay. that, uh, that have been facing the community for, for, for many years, and um, yeah, shouldn't be, uh, shouldn't shouldn't be anything surprising in there. It's going to be... Uh, you know, I think we, you look at housing, we're going to look at poverty, we're going to look at healthcare, transportation, that yeah. sort of stuff. So, uh, and then, you know, at any points, um, you know, the interview is yours, so you feel free to take it wherever you want. Okay. okay so we'll start off with, um, on some personal, uh, personal items, uh, give you a chance to tell people a little bit about Dan, Dan Roberts. How long have you, uh, have you lived in Halliburton County? Well, first of all, I mean, I grew up in Halliburton County. Okay. I went, I went to school here, but I left here. Uh, pretty much as a teenager with the uh, uh, object on my mind was to play hockey. I went to Hamilton to play hockey. Uh, that didn't work out due to a couple of circumstances, one of them being injuries. And I ended up staying in the city and uh, I got a job with uh, Bank of Montreal, one of their divisions. And I spent uh, probably eight or nine years with the Bank of Montreal in Western Canada. Then I, I moved to the National Bank ultimately to GE Capital, where I was vice president. And then just shy of the last 20 years, I was the uh, president of a, a U.S. company, their subsidiary in Canada and their vendor programs in the U.S. So I really, my career hasn't been in Halliburton, but during that period of time, uh, I've always had property here. For the last 25 years, I've had property here. Uh, the place we're sitting in right now, I've had for roughly 10 years. I was already on Wonderland Road before I bought this. I have Lakeshore Lot on Cash Ag and I had property on Harburn Road. So I've always kind of been involved in what's going on here, but I haven't lived here. I moved back here uh, kind of post-COVID last September mm -hmm. and decided I was going to work from here and I do some consulting from here. Um, I'm in the city once in a while, but this is home now. I've sold my place in Burlington, which is where I lived for almost 30 years. Mm -hmm. But I've, I've basically spent every weekend in Halliburton. You know, I mean, I came up here all the time. Uh, I have a lot of longtime old friends here from high school that I've kept in touch with. So it's home, you know. So I know what's going on here. Yeah. You know, I know what, you know, what the community is all about. And I talk to people on a regular basis. 
I better ask this question right off the bat because I guarantee it's something that's going to come up if I don't. Any relation to current uh, Dice Art Mayor uh, Andrea Roberts? Uh, I'm her. Her husband is uh, probably a second, maybe a third cousin, okay. Steve Roberts. Um, I don't know if you're aware of the Roberts family, but I mean there were twelve brothers and sisters, and there's a lot of Robertses in Halliburton. You know, from basically you go back. I mean, I think one of the original Reeves in Halliburton. Uh, Curly Bill Roberts, if you look through some of the history books, he would be my great uncle. He was my grandfather's brother. Okay. You know? Okay. Yeah. I, I, I just know if I didn't ask that question, well, that'd be, that'd be, the, that'd be the thing that people are wondering. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's a lot of Roberts. A lot of them I, I know, but you get into second, third generation, yeah. you know, so I don't know them all anymore. Fair enough. All right. So have you ever run for, for municipal office before? Or would this be a first time thing? I have not. No. I, I have not. This is first time. And, and I actually wasn't really planning on doing this originally, but I had some people in Halliburton who I've known for a long, long time that actually asked me if I would run. So that's kind of what brought this on. Okay. So, you know, you mentioned, uh, you know, your, your, your working background, your work history. Why don't you tell me about some of the, some of the skills you feel that you would bring to the table, uh, you know, if you were elected to serve as War II Councilor? Well, you know, I don't know if there's any pure, resume that you can hand over that makes you somebody that's qualified to be in politics no matter what level. But I think having a business background is helpful. That doesn't dismiss somebody who doesn't have one. I think, you know, smart people can, they can do the job. But I have a background in business. I mean, you're, you become fairly well educated in business through the banking system and through companies like GE. And you, you get to the point where, you know, you're managing people all the time. You're managing budgets. You're doing strategic plans. You know, you're basically building a company and your performance is evaluated on that. And I don't think really when you, when you think about it, that politics should be any different, you know, and we, we kind of, the only thing in politics is you get elected for four years and you can screw up real bad in the first year, but you're still there for the next three. You don't get that luxury in a company, especially not a larger company. If you're not doing your job, you're not around. You know, it's that simple. So uh, my qualifications, I think, are, uh, I, I think they're fairly strong. Uh, I've also spent some time on uh, a couple of boards. The most notable one was the uh, Royal Botanical Gardens in Burlington. I, I spent a few years on there, which uh, I don't know if you know about the Royal Botanical Gardens, but it's uh, basically 2,400 acres of uh, fisheries, uh, wildlife sanctuaries, walking paths, wetlands, uh, you name it, it's got it all. And it's surrounded by literally 600,000 people. Mm -hmm. So you're dealing with a whole lot of issues when you're on a board, you know, in the middle of that. For sure. Any community involvement since you've uh, moved, up, moved back up to, to Halliburton full time? No, not at all. Well, I, I, the only community involvement I've had in the past year is I billeted a couple of the Huskies last oh, year. Yes. Okay. Which, which was a great experience. I didn't do it this year because... Uh, I have a grandson living here who's working up here. One of his friends is staying here. Mm -hmm. And his girlfriend, who's going to Western, spent the summer working up here. So I had my hands full. Fair enough. What players did you have here last year? I had uh, Colby Poulin mm -hmm. and uh, Bryce Richardson. Okay. Really, really fine young men. Yeah. Yeah, they had a great great first year in Halliburton County last year. That's well, I sure. thought Bryce was going to come back. I, I knew Colby probably wouldn't because, you know, I think he would have been a 20-year-old. He, he was injured a he lot last hurt, year. Yeah. 
But I thought maybe Bryce would come back. But And we keep in touch, by the way. Uh, but he's going to university. He's decided mm. to take that path. So good on yeah, him. Good for him, yeah. Okay. So you've know, about a few weeks now since uh, since nominations closed, you know, to to get out there and notice a few signs sort of springing yeah. up uh, on my drive down here. You know, have you had a chance to talk to some of uh, some of your neighbors, some other people in the ward to sort of identify what uh, some of the key issues are um, in, in this ward? Well, I mean, I'm, I'm starting to talk to them. I mean, I, I'm on the uh, Lake Cashag organization, the association, because I have property on the lake. Mm. So I kind of see what's going on there, and I keep in touch there. There's there's a group uh, that was formed a while back. Uh, it's a shoreline group that has about five or 600 members, and I think they had an article. I can't remember which paper it was in about a month ago. Uh, I've had conversations with them, and I know that they've sent out a, uh, a mailer to all the candidates to find out, you know, what their issues are, yeah. you know, the key things that they think are important coming into the next four years. And obviously the question is going to come up on the shoreline issue because it's big for them. So I've talked to those groups. I've talked to a lot of people individually, you know, that know I'm running, but most of the people I've talked to so far are people that I already know. Mm -hmm. So now I'll start kind of reaching out to the community. Okay. So what are your um, maybe key two or three issues that's, uh, yeah, you can see yourself focusing on if uh, if you are elected. Well, I mean, I I think when you know when you first walked in here, I don't think we recorded, but you know, you mentioned the fact that you're living in Lindsay, working in Halliburton, and a couple of weeks ago I was at Halliburton Lumber, and the gentleman who looked after me in in their uh, yard in the back, he's commuting from Lindsay. You know, there's a young boy staying here that works for one of the contractors up here. If it wasn't for me putting him up, he wouldn't have a place to stay here. He wouldn't be able to work here. You know, uh, that's a big issue. Mm -hmm. You know, housing in Halliburton is a huge issue. And I'm not sure what, you know, the short-term solution is because you're not going to build houses overnight. But we need to address it. You know, there has to be affordable housing for people here or we're going to start paying a lot more money for our services because everybody's going to be coming in from the outside. So that's, that's kind of number one. Um, you know, we have some things coming up, you know, with, short-term rentals. Uh, I don't know if you keep up on what's going on in the news, but I know they just passed some bylaws in London, Ontario, in regards to short-term rentals like Airbnbs. And they've had uh, kind of a lashback on that. They've had a lot of the people who are doing that just basically packing in to move out. Mm -hmm. So I'm not suggesting that it should be regulated somehow, but we have to be careful how we do that. So I think that's important. Um, I'm, I'm really concerned about our health care. Uh, you know, at one point in time in, you know, in the spring and into the summer, they were talking about, you know, possibly closing down an emergency room because of shortages of staff. We really need to find a way to get doctors up here. Like, I'm still driving to Burlington for a doctor. Wow. I don't have one here. You know, I, I have my specialists were fine. I moved them to Peterborough, mm -hmm. which... You know, Peterborough's probably the closest place for specialists anyways, but for just a general physician, it's it's hard to get one up here. It's hard to get a dentist up here. So we, we need to find a way to get doctors to move here. And I'm not sure what the real answer is, you know, but if you have a doctor that comes up here and runs a practice, they'll usually have a spouse. Mm -hmm. And if their spouse is a professional, if there's nothing here for them, then 
makes it pretty difficult to attract those people. Absolutely. You know, so I don't know what the answer is there, but that's, those are three issues right there that we need. Um, the shoreline issue, uh, I was really happy that Pat Kennedy and Andrea Roberts voted against it. Uh, I think we have uh, sufficient bylaws in place right now to cover that off. And I'm, I was really disappointed, you know, that we were spending money on consultants to look into that, I think we could have got around that a lot easier and with a lot less money. And then one of the last issues for me that's that I think is going to become a huge issue in the future, and, and nobody seems to talk about it, it never comes up, but right now we're shipping all our waste out of the county. And at some point in time, we have to find a solution to that. You know, whether it be, uh, you know, getting provincial grants and federal grants and investing in some kind of incineration, I'm not sure what the total answer is. Uh, we're not the only municipality facing that. Where, where I came from in Burlington, their landfills are full there as well, mm -hmm. and they have no place else to go, so they're shipping their waste out. Uh, shipping waste somewhere else really isn't solving a problem, in my opinion. So we have to look at that. So th that's just a few things that that I think are really important in the coming four years. Okay. A few of those we are going to touch on later um, okay. with some more... Uh, with some more focused questions um you know this, i find this is always an interesting question to ask you get you know a wide range of, of answers usually but uh you know what, what would be your your overarching vision for for dysart uh at all and, and what it maybe could and should be as a community uh well i mean i i have an opinion of of Dyser that i whether it's the right opinion or view of Dyser, i'm not really sure but it's mine and, and I've kind of looked at uh, Dysart and Halberton County as uh, kind of a retirement community for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. And I don't think we've really done enough over the years. And I'm not blaming anybody here, but I don't think we've really done enough to promote uh, light industrial type industry. Um, you know, I, I left here when I was young because it, I, if I had a stayed here, I'm not sure what my life would have turned out like. I'm sure it would have been good, but I don't think I would have had the income that I had by by joining the corporate world. We, we need something to keep our young people here, you know, and, and the key to a community beyond that as well is, you know, like you, you go into town right now and, and there's, there's no playground for the kids. Well, you know, I'm not blaming anybody for that either, but that's an oversight, you know, that shouldn't have happened. That's, it's important that people have a place to take their kids. It's important that we look after our arenas and that we promote sports. I mean, that's what keeps the community together. But we need jobs. And jobs won't do us any good if people don't have a place to live. Mm -hmm. But jobs are tax base. So, I mean, you, know, you mentioned that need for jobs. Have you identified potential gaps that exist in our community that where we could maybe attract certain certain businesses, certain companies to maybe come here? Well, I, I mean, I, I think what it really comes down to is, <clears throat> you know, what you're willing to do to compete to get certain types of industries here. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, you know, we have a, you know, with our high school here, which has kind of declined in, in uh, student body, but we have a fairly educated group of kids coming out. You know, maybe in the past we should have looked at call centers, uh, some light manufacturing, some technology. But in order to get those companies here, there's a couple things you have to do. One, you have to take a look at what can you do for them tax-wise to help them out a little bit to be here. 
And secondly, that base of employees has to be here. And then we kind of come back to the housing thing again. You know, like if people don't have a place to live, then they're going to go elsewhere and find it. And, you know, and I'm not going to identify Halliburton as being the only place where we have a housing issue because it's not. I mean, I think most people are aware of the fact that rents are high everywhere and it's hard to find housing no matter where you are in Ontario. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was uh, talking for, for, for the podcast that we put together on housing. I spoke to Mike Moffat. He's uh, an economist based down, I think, in London. But he, he released a report last year that said we need to build a million new homes in Ontario over the next uh, 10 years just to, just to meet the demand that exists today. Yeah. Well, I don't think that even accounts for you know the, the immigration we're going to see over the next 10 years or, or, or things like that. I touched base with him again a couple weeks back and he said, oh, well, you know, since I put that report out, it's been, you know, there's been a few updates first by the provincial government and then by, um, I think it was a workers association group who are now saying 2 million new homes. So, I mean, it's the, 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 the ball seems to be shifting, uh, ever more as we look at this issue and say, looking at Halliburton County, I think it's a 1200 new homes is, is, is what we require. Um, so it's, yeah. Looking, looking at the county and, you know, we see some projects, obviously, you know, the Grass Lake, um, proposal that's saying, you know, there's one for Wallings Road. There's a proposal in Minden on the corner of 35 and, and, and 115. So they'll chip away, but. Yeah. 12 well, I mean, Dyser owns property right at the end of this road, Wonderland Road. Yeah. You know, and I'm not sure what the plan is with that. I don't think there is a plan for uh, Grass Lake yet. I mean, I know the property's been developed. But I have not seen anything like an actual plan for, you know, what they want to put there. Um, but regardless, you know, we do need housing and we need affordable housing and, and, uh, it's going to take a little bit of work. So let's, uh, let's, let's expand on that a little bit. We're going to move into those hot mutton topics that I mentioned before. Uh, yeah, we've identified there's a, a lack of available and affordable housing in Halliburton County. Long-time residents being forced out of the community. Uh, difficult to attract working families and professionals to, to relocate here when there's no properties available. What ideas or solutions, you know, do you have or would you bring forward to, to maybe try and combat this issue and, um, you know, ensure Halliburton County is a place that, uh, people can stay and, 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 you know, bring up their families? Well, I mean, I think with the housing issue is, you know, and I, I'm only going by, you know, what I hear when I talk to contractors and people who, who do build houses. Um, I think we have to be a little more forgiving on, you know, what we're doing as far as getting permits and getting people, you know, the ability to build houses. Uh, you know, we, we, there's a building code and you have to follow the building code, but, but we have to speed things up a little bit. I mean, it takes a long time here to develop a piece of property to get it through the system. And I'm not sure what the real answers are internally there because I don't work on our municipal office right now, but we have to make it a little easier to get things done than what it's been in the past. And I'm not even sure right now if, if we have enough contractors up here, if somebody said tomorrow, you know, and turned on the light switch and said, we're gonna build three projects. I don't know if we have the people here to do that and where we would get them and where we would put them up in order to get the development going. So, you know, it, it's a really difficult situation. And, uh, you know, one of the things about Halliburton that a lot of people kind of overlook a little bit is that there, there's a lot of people living up here that are working on a minimum wage or just slightly more than a minimum wage. 
which is what, $15, $15 an hour. If you're getting a little more than minimum wage, it's maybe $17, $18, or $19 an hour. Like, what is the living wage here? To me, the living wage is probably somewhere around 20 plus. Well, I know, I know in 2019, there was a report put to Halliburton County Council that was said it was $19.42. That well, was, that was three years ago before the pandemic yeah. and all this inflation. So, you know, let, let's say it's $25 an hour for a living wage. Well, we have to find people who are willing to pay that. And people who, who live up here have to understand that the services that they get from contractors and different businesses up here, it's going to cost them more. I mean, that's part and parcel of what's going to take place there. The other thing they forget is that people living up here, there's no transit. So if you're a two-family home and you have children going to school, you're probably a two-car family if both People are working. Mm -hmm. You can't survive on one car. You know, there's, you can't catch a bus anywhere. You can't cab it all the time. It's not affordable. So, I mean, the real cost of living is really more than what we peg it at. And we don't seem to account for that, you know. And so you'll find people coming here and they they look at what they can earn and what it costs them to live and they don't want to stay here. So I'm just going to fire a couple of a uh, couple of projects that are either in the works or have been discussed, you know, at, at, at the dice art level, um, and just get what what your thoughts are on those projects. So you know, we already talked about the the Grass Lake proposal. You yeah. mentioned not having seen any real um, ideas come to fruition, but how do you feel about further development on that lake, and, and particularly sort of high to medium density development on that lake? Well, I, I think if it's done properly, I mean, yeah. First of all, that property's on town sewers. And, and I, I think we have to get past the illusion that humans can't live with wildlife because if you take a look around here, we're doing that already. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of a misleading when you see a sign that says uh, no condos on Grass Lake. Well, the condos aren't going to be on Grass Lake. The property's quite a ways back from Grass Lake. So if it's done properly, then you know, I, I don't see why it would really be an issue. Okay. The affordable housing project that's been uh, proposed for Wallings Road, a partnership between Dysart and, uh, and um, oh, Places for People. Um, you know, have you, uh, what do you know about that project? Well, I, I, I know we need it, you know, and I know there's a little bit of controversy going on there, you know, in regards to people that live in Helbium and, you know, where the traffic's going to go. But to me, those are issues that should be easily resolved, in my opinion. You know, you, you need a set of lights for people to get out. I mean, yesterday when I went into town at, uh, I think it was about quarter after three, there were like five, maybe six buses lined up trying to get out there. So we're going to have to put a light in at one of those roads. If, if, you, uh, if you put it in on the Helvium side, then you're going to have to upgrade the streets and the street lights and widen the roads in there because it's going to increase the traffic. You know, so that's going to cause some problems. So, you know, I think we we need to make a decision how we're going to get people in and out of there and, and get the project underway. Mm. You know, we're doing a lot of talking, but we're not really taking a lot of action. And this is pure speculation at this point, but I know um, the municipality was was gifted a, a significant portion of land right across from uh, from the Pinestone Resort, yeah. uh, slated for a recreational development. 
do you think, uh, you know, when you look at what already exists in Halliburton County, we have AJ LaRue Arena, you know, we've got a curling rink, we've got, you know, a brand new facility down in Minden Hills that's, uh, that we need another, uh, another new recreational facility? Or, you know, do you think that land, you know, could maybe be a prime location for further housing? Well, okay, first of all, how much land do we already have for housing? that we're not using, that we haven't built anything on. So let's take a look at that first. And I think there's a fair amount of land that we haven't developed already. So to look to that for housing might be a little far out there because I don't think it's really necessary yet. Mm. It could be in the future. Uh, in, in regards to uh, recreational facilities, you know, and, and I'm only saying this because I spent probably the last 10 years uh hiking my grandson from rink to rink in southwestern Ontario because he played AAA hockey. And most communities that we played hockey in that were the same size as this community, sometimes slightly larger, all had better facilities than what you see here. Mm -hmm. And I'm not knocking the arena here. I think we have a fairly nice arena, but we don't have a facility. It's an arena. You know, Minden's taken it a little bit further, you know, because you've got a, a gym in there and, and you have a, an area to walk. And you've got a basketball court. But there's a lot of communities that have way more than we do where you basically house your library. You know, you have uh, a, a, a gymnasium or a fitness center, sometimes supported by the YMCA or somebody else. You have a swimming pool. Mm -hmm. we, we don't have any of that here, you know. So, you know, yes, we have fairly decent recreational facilities for what we have. But there's a lot of things we don't have. Now, whether that's the place to build it, I don't know. You know, I mean, I don't think it's time to tear down what we have. Mm. But, you know, if you're, if you're going to build for the future, you want to attract people. It's kind of like the field of dreams, isn't it? Build it and they will come. Exactly. <laughs> All right. So switching gears ever so slightly, um, you know, for, de for years, I, I think you could even probably say for decades, the Highlands region has been recognized as one of the top two poorest regions in Ontario, right there with uh, with Manitoulin Island. Uh, late, latest data that I've seen suggests at least 17% of, uh, of the population living in poverty. Um, you know, what do you think can be done to, to buck this trend and, and turn the situation around after so many years of, of, of dealing with this? Well, I mean, I've, Again, it's not something you're going to deal with overnight, but we we need to to basically uh, first, first of all, when when I hear people say that we're the one of the poorest counties in the, in the province or the country, I, I find that very disappointing to be to be really honest with you, because there's a lot of wealth up here. Mm -hmm. um, development's what's going to cure that more than anything else. Now, you know, I mean, if people aren't working because they don't want to work, it doesn't matter how much you build or how fast you build, it's not going to change that. But if people aren't working or they're, you know, they're suffering, you know, at a poverty level because they're not or can't get a decent wage, then we need to improve what we have here for industry and competition and, and change that. You know, uh, you know, I, like you mentioned earlier that you're living in Lindsay now and like, you know, I look at Lindsay, it's grown over the years, but there's not a lot of industry there either. You know, and, and you have to take a look at, is it because we've been negligent, you know, as, as political leaders and not going out to go after it? Or is it not available for areas like this? I think it's available. 
I, I just think what you need to do is start putting together a campaign to start attracting people. And it, it might mean some tax cuts. You know, it might, it might mean bringing a company in and saying, you know, you're going to get a break for the next five years if you hire this many people. Um, I mean, I, I'm not sure exactly what that's going to take, but Halliburton would be a great place for distribution centers. You know, I mean, it's kind of in, you know, central Ontario. So going north and going south, it could be a great distribution center. You know, we're not on Highway 35 in Dyser, but we're not far off it, you know, so we could develop that. Um, I, I don't think we're going to be richer unless we start doing things and start thinking richer. Hmm. I mean, that's the bottom line. You know, and if, if you're running a company in this day and age, you know, you can tread water or you can get out and do the things you have to do to basically grow your company. And we, we need to grow the community. Yeah, change in thinking, I guess. I know that's, uh, that's, that's been one of the big, uh, big key things whenever I've seen, uh, you know, different proposals come to the table is, is there are people who say, you know, we want to, we want to maintain what we have. We want to maintain everything that Halliburton County is. But, uh, you know, when you sort of compare that to, to these statistics and see that there are so many people struggling, I mean, I think it's almost, almost a responsibility, I think, of, of, of councils to, uh, try and, uh, alleviate these things. Well, I mean, there was a time and, you know, it's not that long ago. I mean, it's probably it's before your time, but, this lake right here, Cashaga Wigamog, had a half a dozen lodges on it. And some of them are open all year round. Yeah. You know, now you're left with Bonnie View, and that's literally it. Yeah. You know, everything else has either been turned into condominiums or timeshares or whatever, or torn down and long gone. Uh, you know, if one of our one of our key industries up here is the tourist industry, so. Maybe what we need to do is start developing it a little more because we already have it. What can we do to make that better? I mean, there's a lot of people come into this community, you know, to ATV and ride snowmobiles and motorcycles. I mean, over the last five or six years, uh, the number of motorcycles I see coming through this town on, on a weekly basis, right from spring to fall, is mm -hmm. unbelievable. Well, are they spending money here other than going to a restaurant? I don't know. You know, if you go down to, uh, and I don't know if you've been there before or not, but if you go down to Port Dover, which is a community that's a bit bigger than Halliburton, uh, a number of years back, uh, they started a Friday the 13th run, a couple of guys did, you know, because they it was a, a memorial to a friend. That community has become such a destination because of that one run that happens sometimes once a year, sometimes twice a year. Sometimes it doesn't happen at all, mm -hmm. but one run can put a hundred thousand people into that town. Wow! You know, and and out of that, what happened is merchants moved there because people who went there for Friday the thirteenth they get on their bike on a Saturday or Sunday and say, "Well, let's go to Port Dover." Well, people are coming here, but what's here for them when they get here? Like we have a great art community. Um, I mean, there's lots of things to offer, but are we really taking advantage of the people that are coming here, you know, and, and, and getting revenue from them? So the tourist industry is huge. I mean, we need to work on that. Then we, we get back again to, you know, some form of industry. I don't think you're going to have major manufacturing here, but light industry is definitely something we could use here. I was saying that'll help with, uh, you know, everywhere you look these days when you're walking around town, help wanted signs everywhere. I mean, 
I feel like that was going to be one of my questions was how do we go about restocking our, our labor pool? But I think, you know, you, you've sort of touched on it there by... Well, yeah, part of what I said is touches on it. But the other thing, too, is that when we went through this whole COVID thing, you know, and, you know, like my grandson's 19 years old and I, he, he worked, he was going to school, but he worked at a co-op job during COVID for his grade 11 and grade 12. There were a lot of kids in grade 12 who were collecting government money. I mean, it wasn't very well distributed. So, you know, if you can get $2,000 a month to do nothing, you're not going to go to work for minimum wage. Now, you know, most of that's over with now. But that really, yeah, like, you know, if you go into a restaurant here, you, you know, you find, like, you know, I've talked to the owners at McCacks and, uh, they were decimated through COVID because a lot of people just got out of that industry, you know, because they couldn't rely on it for an income anymore. You know, you're open, you're closed, you're open, you know, you're doing takeout, so I don't have a waiter's job anymore. So a lot of people just couldn't wait it out and they found other jobs. Well, I'm not really sure how you get those people back because there's a fear of going back into that industry as a worker that you're going to get into it and we're going to go through the same thing again. Yeah. So it's made it really difficult for them. Yeah. And this is, again, something that, uh, that you touched on before, but uh, public transportation. I feel like there's been, uh, certainly in the last 12 months, people I've spoken to, you know, a, a desire for some form of, of transit to sort of come in pl into play in, in, in Halliburton County. Do you think something like that is, is feasible for a community as, 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 as large as ours, as large as Dysart is? And, and, and if so, you know, what would that look like for you? Well, I, I mean, I think to do, I think it's feasible. Uh, I think it would be on a limited basis to start off with. I mean, I don't think you can service the whole county. You know, one of the things I've found over the last uh, couple of weeks going out and putting some campaign signs up is just how many roads there are up here. When you start going around to some of the lakes and some of the roads that are here, we, we have a lot of roads. And I don't think you could service them all with transit, but I think you could service some, some major areas to start off with. And see how that goes, you know. And, and you know, maybe what you do is you do it like, uh, you know, if, if you live in the city, uh, there's certain times of the week or long weekends where their transit limited. Like, you know, the, there's a bus that runs at eight o'clock in the morning, and one runs at ten o'clock, and then there's one at two in the afternoon, and one at, you know, three thirty or four o'clock in the afternoon. They don't have regular routes running all the time. I I, I certainly think it's worth looking at. You know, I, I mean, something like that would give people the opportunity that are a one-car family to work within the community if they can get a ride there. Mm -hmm. And healthcare, another another one of the priorities that you sort of mentioned uh, mentioned before. It's been very well documented the staffing shortages at the at the hospitals in Minden and in Halliburton, and that has led to uh, you know the administration at the hospitals are saying there could be closures of uh, yeah. ER departments at certain times. I think this begs the question, do you think that with the situation that we're in now with our labor market the way it is, our housing situation the way it is, that we can continue to support and accommodate two hospitals in Halliburton County? Well, that's a big question. Um, you know, I, I think originally what we should have done is we should have built one large hospital. Where you build it, I don't know. I mean, whether it's between Minden and Halliburton or one of the two places, I have no idea. That'd be something you'd have to debate, but, but we didn't do that. So now we, we do have two hospitals. Do we need two hospitals? I don't think we do. I think we need one good hospital 
for an area the size of ours. I don't know what the solution is to that right now. I mean, um, I, I know one thing that we, we have a lot of people living here. You know, when I mentioned earlier about, you know, viewing Halbert somewhat as a seniors community, we, we do have a lot of seniors here, but they contribute to the community and healthcare is really important to them, yeah. you know, and if, if they can't get it here, they're going to go somewhere else. Yeah. They're going to sell their places and they're going to move to a Collingwood or Bracebridge or Barrier, wherever it might be, because it's important to them. You know, people can't get in a car and travel, you know, a hundred miles to get healthcare all the time. So I would like to see one facility, but that's a pretty long-term project, mm -hmm. you know, but it's certainly, it's certainly worth looking at. Okay. And now that's, uh, you know, we've brought up that buzzword of, of amalgamation. Uh, you know, where do you stand on the potential or possible amalgamation of municipalities within Halliburton County? You know, particularly looking at, you know, we, we have a model directly south of us there, Kawartha Lakes, who went through the process 20, 20 or so years ago. Do you think there could be benefits to come from merging uh, our four municipalities into one? Well, you know, if you're asking me that question from, uh, from what I'm hearing from people that I talk to, I think there's a lot of people believe that. How you do it's a whole different story, you know. And you know, maybe what happens is is that you amalgamate the things that make sense first. Like for example, having one road department instead of four. Uh, I mean, our emergency service, our ambulance service, is basically for the whole county. Mm -hmm. Now, I realize that's run by the provincial government. But I don't see any reason why our fire department couldn't work that way. So, I mean, if you take those are two big factors, you know, that cost a lot of money. Mm -hmm. um, if people think that by amalgamation that you're going to save all kinds of money on uh, what councillors make and mayors make, you're not. Because councillors don't, they don't get paid enough money to do the job, to be honest with you. And I think we're way behind when it comes to, you know, what people are paid to be mayor and deputy mayor up here. So you're not going to really save anything there. Where, where you eventually save money on uh, regionalizing or amalgamating is you, you should, at some point in time, if you do it smartly, you should cut back on your overhead overall. You know, right now we have, you know, four separate municipal offices. You know, we have a county office. Uh, we, there, there's a lot of infrastructure for the population of this county. So I, I think it's gonna happen eventually. I, I just think you have to do it right so that it doesn't become a huge burden or a cost on people. You know, you, I, you know, it, when you talk to people up here about, you know, the things that are important to them, there really there's, there's two different factors that come into place. There's people that still live in the city that have a cottage here that they spend most of their time at, but they don't live here. Mm -hmm. So they don't look at, you know, building new houses as being as important as somebody who lives here full time. Sure. But in the, at the end of the day, if, if we don't solve that problem, then it's going to cost them more for services because everything's going to be coming in from outside. So it affects them in the long run. Um, people that live in the city that come up here on a weekend or spend their summers up here, most of their health care is still in wherever they live, sure, you know, but what they do care about, you know, and I think everybody does here is if you're going to make major changes in our structure, 
number one, how are you going to do it? And is it going to cost me more in taxes to do it? And and I think if you take a look at most regions that have like Halton and Corinthus uh, and places like that, it does cost more to regionalize. Yeah. Like it's not cheaper. That's one thing I hear say down in down in the core of the lakes is that the benefits, you know, twenty years on are negligible at best. So it's uh, yeah, I understand what you're saying. You know, there could be, uh, you know, there could be potential for amalgamation, but it's all how you handle it, right, and how you uh, how you sort of kick that think, can. yeah. And I don't think you're going to get away with that without without increasing the tax base. I guess the key is is that if you increase the tax base to do that, are the services proportionately upgraded mm. for that increase do you get better service do you do you live somewhere where a road gets plowed that's not getting plowed you know do you have a hospital that's closer you know because of that um, I mean you have to take a look at the benefits of it okay moving on to uh, to the shoreline preservation bylaw you already sort of voiced before that uh, you know you were happy to see Pat Kennedy and Andrea Roberts sort of stand against it you know it's not a document that you were particularly supportive of um, but I would say you know what what's uh, what, what would you have liked to have seen included that wasn't or what would you like to have seen sort of changed uh, throughout the whole process well I mean first of all I mean I and I mean I've read the proposal I think a lot of people haven't really read the proposal I mean it's it, there's a lot of paperwork there. Um, when you when you look at the proposal based on what we already have, I'm not really sure what we were really accomplishing by even proposing it in the first place. I mean, you, you know, you can you can put bylaws in all day long, but if you can't enforce them, then it really doesn't matter anyways. I find for the most part up here, most of the people I talk to, most of the people I know that live on the lake. And let's, let's get something straight here. People who don't live on the water don't really care about the shoreline bylaw. It's people who, that actually are affected by it directly. Mm-hmm. But most of the people that I know up here, they, they care about the lakes and they care about the shoreline. If they spend, you know, six or eight hundred thousand dollars on a lot and they plan to build on, they'd like to be able to see the lake. And I'm not really sure why that's such a big issue if it's done properly. Mm-hmm. Like I have a lot on Cashaga Wigamock. I I wouldn't go down there and just start chopping down trees. You know, I'd, I'd get an arborist to go down and take a look at what's there mm-hmm. before I even attempted to do that. You know, and I, I wouldn't start dropping rocks and cribs in the water. I, and I think most people up here are, are like that. I think they really care about what's going on in our lakes and our waterways and they respect it. Um, so I don't really, I, I think what should have happened is that the whole shoreline thing, if it's, if it's that important to some people, it probably should have gone through the municipal level first, like, you know, Dysart, Highlands East, Algonquin, and Minden Hills. They should have looked at it, and if they felt that it was something we needed to do, then they should have proposed to the county what we should do. It kind of looks right now like it kind of went the other way. Mm-hmm. It became a county issue, and it's being pushed down to the municipalities. Mm-hmm. And so I'm not sure where we're going to end up with this, to be honest with you. Um, I don't really think it's over. Maybe it is. You know, maybe that vote ends it all. I don't really know. Well, I think one of the things they said about it was that, you know, it's a document that's, um, you know, can be changed, can be adopted, can, can uh, you know, have, have things added, taken away. Um, well, it's not, a lot of it's not very clear. I mean, right. if, if, you know, if you, I've listened to the last meeting, 
you know, with the county on, on the shoreline issue and on short-term rentals. And uh, like it, a lot of the stuff really wasn't all that clear. And I was actually surprised that they decided to vote on it. I, I think that this whole thing should have been left as a debatable issue for the upcoming election. Mm. You know, that people need to, to voice their opinions on it and need to be heard. And like when I talk to this group, you know, 500 members, you know, who are really adamant about the shoreline. And, and if you take a look at their website, and I'll give it to you before I leave sure. if you want. Um, they, they actually made some pretty significant proposals to the county that I thought were well thought out that were really smart, mm -hmm. and I don't even think anybody listened to them. Well, you got to start listening to people. You know, I mean, there's there's a lot of sharp people up here that really care about this county, and if you aren't going to hear their voices, then I'm not sure what you're doing in in the political realm, to be mm -hmm. honest with you. Yeah, as an out, you know, I don't cover the county, so I, I, I'm, I, you know, I've, I, I didn't tune into any of those meetings, but, uh, you know, just from, from the stories I read and conversations I had with, with Sam and Lisa, who did, I mean, it's, uh, it, you know, it seemed like as soon as, as soon as it went to the consultants, I mean, the consultants put all their thoughts down and said, this is, uh, this is what we think. And council said, sure. That sounds good. Yeah. Well. That's, you know, I'm not even sure why we hired a consultant to start off with. I mean, you know, as a county, you should have some expertise so you can dig up information. I mean, we, we're surrounded by, you know, counties that have the same type of waterfront issues that we have. Check with them first and find out what they did. I mean, it's the same with short-term rentals, you know, like, what have they done in Muskoka, you know, you know, in the Lake of Bay area? What have they done in Kawartha? Mm -hmm. You know, like... Don't, don't try to reinvent the wheel. Take a look at what's there and then see if we can adopt what's there rather than pay somebody to do what we should have done ourselves. So now that you, you, know, you brought up short-term rentals again, do you think they do have a place in Halliburton County? And if so, um, do you think they should be regulated? And if so, how do we go about regulating them? Well, I, I don't know how we go about it. Um, I mean, you can, you can register... But again, it becomes an issue that's more like a bylaw issue, you know, where, you know, you can get somebody to basically register and then pay X number of dollars a year because they rent their place out for 30, 60 or 90 days, whatever the term might be. And, and you can graduate, you know, how much you charge them based on how many days they rent out. But if they rent their place out to a couple and their couple invites up five other couples and they have a party, you still got the same issue you had in the beginning. It doesn't change anything. Mm -hmm. You know, they're registered. That's all you've really accomplished out of it, some revenue. You still have to deal with the issues as they come up. And, you know, I, I talked to a few realtors about short-term rentals because I wasn't really clear on, number one, how many complaints do we get every year, you know, from other cottagers, you know, where somebody's partied across the lake or thrown trash in their driveway on the way out on Sunday morning. So I don't really know what the incident report is there. Mm. But I know when some of the realtors I talked to, they they claim that we probably have somewhere in the neighborhood of close to a thousand short-term rentals up here, which was a lot more than I thought. Yeah. So if that's the case, um, you know, maybe it needs to be regulated somewhat, but you know, again, what you're doing is you're, as soon as you start doing that, you're creating an infrastructure that has to be manned somehow, you know. Like right now, 
you know, one of our biggest issues in, in the county, you know, when it comes to go back to shoreline is septic and pesticides. Mm -hmm. You know, we're not dealing with that. And yet we're trying to put another bylaw in, you know, that really doesn't deal with some of the major issues we already have. Well, the septic, say, I know I'm glad you brought that up because I think that is, that is a key factor of the short-term rental component because, you know, if you've got a house, let's say you've got a five-bedroom house that's, yep. uh, you know, used to handling a certain amount of waste and all of a sudden you're bringing 15 people up there for, for a weekend and they're there for a long weekend for four days and just overusing the system, that's yep. when that's when we start to run into issues with septics being overloaded and you know, a lot of these properties are right on the lake. I mean, there's there's only one way. Well, I mean, that, maybe, that the with, maybe the issue with registration and regulation is as simple as in enforcing uh, holding tanks. Yeah. You know, on short. So if you're actually operating a short-term rental, you have to have a holding tank that yeah. you can pump out. You know, you still have waste, sure. but at least it's not running into the lake. Yeah. You know, like I'm not suggesting it's a bad idea. Mm. I'm just not sure how we're going to manage it, you know, because it's the same with, you know, the shoreline bylaw, the county talked about hiring a bunch of people to enforce it. Well, you know, get in a car and start driving around to the different lakes up here. And you'll find out that it's not as easy as what you think. Most of our enforcement up here really comes down to people telling on other people. Yeah. I mean, that's what the enforcement is. Yeah. You know, if I see you doing something I think is illegal or I don't like, then I basically squeal on you. Uh, that, that's not a great way to manage. Yeah. Again, this was something that uh, you know we we touched on slightly before. You know, the, the when you look at the Highlands population growth, um, you know, it's definitely been weighted, I think, towards older demographics. This has become a popular destination for people to to retire. What what strategies do you think Dysart can employ to attract younger families, young working professionals to to relocate and and stay here long term? Well, I, I think the bottom line is uh, good income generating jobs. I mean, it's pretty much that simple. You know, uh, like, I mean, I would have lived here my whole life if I could have made a decent income. And I think most people are the same. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, you know, if, if, you know, if you're making minimum wage and you can move to Peterborough, Oshawa, Lindsay or Toronto and double that, that's what you're going to do. You know, and, and right now when you take a look at it, rental, to, to rent someplace to live if you can find it, is really not that much more expensive in Oakville, Burlington or Hamilton than it is here. Mm -hmm. So being there and making more money is actually an advantage to a person rather than a disadvantage. So you, you have to create jobs and, and, and you, have to, you have to have a community that, that's conducive to having young families. There has to be stuff for them to do, you know. Like, there's so many things you can do in the city. So many and people here actually are pretty good. I mean, they, they get out of this community and they find things to do, but you need things to do here as well. Mm -hmm. Okay. And, uh, okay, yeah, so looking ahead, let's say, you know, you're successful in your bid um, to become a Ward 2 counselor. And, uh, you know, the first thing that's going to be coming across, uh, across your desk when you, when you sit down is going to be the 2023 budget. Uh, what's, um, what would be your approach to, uh, to that budget? And what would be some of your priorities that you'd like to see Dysart focus on? Well, I mean, we have to focus on housing. I mean, I don't think we have a choice. I, I mean, that, that's probably number one. Um, 
the short-term rental thing, I mean, it, it, we do have to deal with it, but I mean, it's not, to me, it's not a huge priority. I think it's something we have to look at, but it's, it's not a huge priority. I, I think the two more, most important things that, in my own opinion, are housing and, and our healthcare, you know, getting some doctors in here. Because I mean, even when we talked about attracting people to come and live here and work here, if you can't get medical attention, that, that's a big factor too. Mm-hmm. I mean, you have to have that. Um, I, I don't, you know, I haven't really had a chance to take a look at, you know, the infrastructure itself in, in Dysart. Uh, well, we seem to have a lot of people working for the county. So I don't know what everybody does. Hopefully everybody's earning their, their paycheck working there. At least I hope they are. Um, I think overall, we just, we just need to be more diligent in how we're spending our money. And we also, you know, need to work more with the province and with the federal government to, to get grants and get more money in here to develop our county. Okay. Final thoughts? Anything we haven't touched on? Um, well, I mean, you know, um, I plan on I plan to live in the rest of my life out here, so I, I would like to see Halliburton do well. I'd like to see my grandson be able to stay here and and make a living here. I'd love. I have two other grandchildren. I'd love them to come and live here. I don't know if that's going to happen or not, but I really care about this community, you know. And I, and I have a lot of neighbors and friends up here that care about the community as well. I, you know, I think there's some frustration, you know, with a lot of people you know, over the years. Uh, you know, I take a look at our last council and, and our mayor. I, I think they did a pretty good job. Uh, like I, people can be critical, but. Finding people to do that job is not easy. And a lot of people, when they do get in there, sometimes they wish they hadn't mm-hmm. because you, you take a lot of flack in there. Um, you know, Murray Ferries, you know, as, as, a, uh, as the new mayor, he has a lot of experience. He, he knows his municipality inside out. Uh, I think Walt has a fair amount of experience now because he's been uh, a counselor, I think, for what, Eight years. This be yeah, yeah. This is, I think this is his third term, yeah. maybe. So there, there's a fair amount of experience there. Um, I hope that some of the people who are running, some of the younger people, do well. Um, I'm not sure in the long term that we're going to find anybody really young running for mayor because I, it's a full time job and it just doesn't pay enough for you know, somebody who's career minded Mm -hmm. and for the amount of flack you take, I don't know if it's worth it for a lot of people, but you know, I, I, I hopefully we can do some things to over the next four years to improve the County, you know, and and make things better increase our living wage here and uh, deal with some of the issues that we talked about today. Uh, You you know, if you're going in council for the next four years and we talk about housing, we, we could be two years in before we ever see a, a stick go up, you know what I mean? You know, so it, it's great to sit here, you know, and say I'm running and you can't really make promises because it's too far out. You know, you have to say, this is what I'd like to see happen. But some of it, you know, two could be three years before you actually see any results to it. It's one of the big, I think, complaints that I get from people about, about not just municipal politics, but politics of, of any kind is, uh, you have a great idea, but uh, as soon as you put that forward, 
boy, it sure does take a, a long time to see those uh, things come to fruition. Well, you know, but part of that too is, and, and this is only my own opinion on but when I sat on the board for the Royal Botanical Gardens, uh, it was a 24-man board with a lot of government appointees. Mm-hmm. And it also had councillors from, from Burlington, Hamilton, Dundas, and from the Halton region. And the biggest frustration of being on the board was that it always felt like you really weren't getting anything done. You were talking about the same stuff over and over again. And I, I think, you know, if, if we have a well-organized council, what we really have to do is focus on when we do sit down, that we're making decisions that we can move forward with. You can't just keep rehashing stuff over and over again. You know, and, and that when I when I take a look at the shoreline issue, you know, where it was back and forth between consultants. I mean, we've been reading about this for how long before they finally voted on it? Oh, it's been years. You know, like, can't do that. Yeah. You know, you have to make decisions. And sometimes they're not going to be the right decision. And, and I'll guarantee you, that it doesn't matter what decision you make, if you're sitting on a council or if you're the mayor or whoever you are, you're not going to please everybody. But you got to do what's best for the community. Perfect. Okay, well, thank you very much uh, for your time this afternoon, Dan, and thank you, everybody, for listening. What Are We Doing is a podcast produced by Justin Van Leishout in partnership with The Highlander. Reporters working on this project include me, Sam Gillett, our editor, Lisa Gervais, and Mike Baker. Be sure to follow along as we cover candidates in your riding, as well as everyone running for election across Halliburton County. Music in this episode is from Kashaga, and our cover art is from Jason Yates, who can be found on Instagram at jy.inc.